Friends, we are going to wrestle with some very hard scriptures this morning. So I wanted to begin by sharing with you the beginning of our covenant. If you want to see it, it is in the very back of your pilgrim hymnal. All of us who are members of the church joined by saying this together. We are united in striving to know the will of God as taught in scripture and in life and in our purpose to walk in the ways of the Lord made known or to be made known to us. This reminds me of a few important things. One, we don't claim to any one of us have all of the wisdom or all of the answers. We promise that we will try to figure them out together and that as we try, we will stay united. I love the word striving. I think it means we keep on trying, we keep on showing up, we keep on wrestling. And I love that we say we come to know the will of God as taught in scripture, we do hold our scripture sacred, and in life. And we remain committed in our purpose to walk in the ways of the Lord made known or to be made known to us. We say in the United Church of Christ that God is still speaking. And in our scriptures this morning, we see one of the best examples of exactly what it is we come to the text to do. We will hear Jesus say... In the Sermon on the Mount, six times, we'll wrestle with three of them today, you have heard it said, meaning in the scriptures that Jesus had available to him, in the Hebrew scriptures, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and Jesus wrestles with what the scriptures mean. But they are going to be very hard today. We will talk about divorce and adultery, murder, anger, lust, And Jesus will say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So the temptation, of course, for the preacher is to choose a different lectionary passage. But if this is Jesus' sermon on the mount, and Jesus isn't afraid to talk about these things in a sermon, I don't think we should be afraid to look at them either. So I didn't skip it, even though it might have been wise to do so. They involve how we live together as families and as communities, and how we live out kingdom values. So I think we do have to address them. And what Jesus is addressing isn't only what is written in sacred scripture, but what are the hottest hot-button issues of the day. Another thing you might think that we should also shy away from as the church. But these are the things that divided communities, that people were fighting over, that rabbis were speaking out about and having disagreements about. These are the toughest political questions of the day. But we begin with our first scripture from Deuteronomy, which is the framework for you have heard it said, an explanation of why we have the law. So from Deuteronomy 30, see I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, By loving the Lord your God, that is first, love the Lord your God, and then walk in his ways and observe the commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess, but if, and we'll come back to this, but if your heart turns away and you do not hear but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life 
so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, again, love comes first, obeying him and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Choose life by first loving God. This is about the law, the law which is supposed to be life-giving. If we are following God's ways and it is not life-giving, then I don't think we're understanding it correctly, and I think we need to listen to Jesus' words, you have heard it said, but I say to you. There's a beautiful little illustration of the hand of God reaching down and presenting a little person who's receiving it with open arms and a beaming smile on their face. The heart is attached to the heavens with all of these little strings, but you see scissors snipping them off in this illustration. You might listen to this passage and think, God's love is conditional. If you do this, then all will be well. If you walk in these ways, it will be okay. But I don't want us to listen to it that way today. I want us to imagine that the strings have been cut off and what the if-then means is something very different. Now, parents who've raised teenagers, I might be coming to you for advice in, you know, days and weeks ahead. (laughs) Have you ever said it's not a threat, it's a promise? And when you try to give consequences or explain what the consequences might be, I really feel as though God is a very loving parent who isn't just making arbitrary threats. If you don't, if you do this, if you mess up, if you don't do that, this will be your harsh punishment. You'll be grounded. I'll take the door off its hinges. Uh, You won't go to your prom. Any kind of harsh thing. Take the phone away. Of course, that's the first one. If you do this, I will do this bad thing to you. And it's not that. It's I've set before you the best way to live to allow for your fullest flourishing. And if you will live in these ways, if you will love me and if you will love one another, your life will be the best it can be. So it's more like I need you to do your homework because you love to learn and you'll be so much happier tomorrow if you get to school and your homework is done. It's that kind of explanation of a natural consequence that follows. You need to make curfew because I love you so much and I don't want you on the road when it's not safe at night and you're tired. So if you come home on time, you will be safe and to do it out of love. I want you to come home because I love you. I want you to love me so much that you don't want me up worrying. Too idealistic, right? But I think that this is where God is going with all of this. Not if then, but if so that you can live life to the fullest because we love each other. Also, before the law is given, what God wants everyone to know is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery and into freedom. So the law is supposed to liberate you, not to make you feel trapped or stuck, but to set you free to live the best life that you can live. So in the Sermon on the Mount, which is broken up in our lectionary readings in a very funny way, I think we need to go back a little bit and remember that Jesus said last week, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished." What we have to do today in this very hard passage is some deep Bible study, and Bible study is best not done where I tell you what the book says and I don't 
hear anything back from you. I'm not going to come around with the microphone today, but I do want you to wrestle along with me and share your thoughts later, because we have some hard passages. But I invite you to open your pew Bible, to find the Gospel of Matthew. If you aren't used to finding Matthew, I tell the young people, open your Bible right to the middle, and then open it to the middle again. Turn three quarters of the way through. The Gospels go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can I hear an amen when you have found Matthew 5? So we have six in this passage. Six, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And I think that they're meant to be taken in three and three. Three come from Deuteronomy and three come from Leviticus. And if I were to summarize them... We have one about murder and anger and being peacemakers, one about adultery and looking at people with lust in your heart, one about divorce, one about swearing falsely, one about violence and turning the other cheek, and then love your enemy, even pray for them. Friends, this is hard work. This was one challenging sermon on the mount. So if we were to tackle three of them today, we will have to remember this wrestling that Jesus is doing. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and that the most important thing is being in a relationship with God, that this comes from love. So to begin in the 21st verse, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Do you hear Jesus has not come to abolish? This is even completing, fulfilling, or transcending, making the law even more serious, even more hard to follow, you might say. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. My eldest said to me when we were reading this together last night, there's only one place siblings don't fight, and it's in stories written by only children. (laughs) No other place in the world do siblings not fight, and no place on earth are human relationships perfect. I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council, and if you even say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, so this is all of us, when we come here, first we should be at perfect peace with everyone in our life. Wow. So we could leave our gift here, leave what you brought for Fridgeport, go and make peace with someone, then come back and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Wow, friends. We might say this is an impossible standard. Some have even said that Jesus is being sarcastic. Jesus knows we can never be at perfect peace. I also think it's important to say that when we say, as taught in sacred scripture and in life, how many times have you been in church and you've come in with a hard heart and you've had a change of heart, a transformation, and when you've left, it was then that you were able to make that phone call and to seek peace with the person you were struggling with. We also remember that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
we are called to try to create peace as best as we can in our relationships. This also turns to conflict in the wider community, and I have to say that sometimes when we're transformed when we come to worship, it might be like this. We might remember that not everyone shares our worldview. We might have our hearts changed by listening to the perspective of someone else. And what one of the things that I hear in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to create a new community, one based on God's idea of shalom, an ethic of love and compassion for one another. But they live as an oppressed group under a dominant society where they have no expectation of justice from the court system. So he's saying to a threatened group of people, quickly make peace with one another. And I know if we listen to the witnesses of our friends and neighbors, especially those who are undocumented, they would never call the police in a situation of violence or dispute. They have to work it out among themselves. So maybe our hearts can be transformed in the way we hear this as Jesus speaking to people who don't trust the system and have to live outside of it and the threat of making peace. So he's giving them legal advice. Make peace before you even get to court. If you get to court, it is not going to go well for you. Maybe our hearts can be transformed by this witness. And then we go on for more challenging verses. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. I think what this is about is that Jesus is acknowledging that there are people with more power than others in society. In his society, it was men who had more power. I think we are approaching much more equality. It would be hard for me to stand here and say we aren't. But I think what he is saying is do not be a person in power or authority and treat anyone who could be considered beneath you, anyone who has less power than you, as an object. Do not objectify people. Each person is created fully in the, in the image of God and must be treated with dignity and respect. And then in 31, it was also said, this is the third, it was said to you, but I say, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This is what Jesus is explaining the people were told in Deuteronomy. Divorce isn't really allowed, but if you are to divorce someone, you have to at least give them a certificate of divorce. Jesus says, but I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, friends, this one is especially hard. Did you hear in our open and affirming welcome statement, regardless of marital status, you are welcome here? I don't think there's a single person here who hasn't either been divorced themselves, didn't have divorced parents, didn't marry someone who was divorced, doesn't have grown divorced children, or doesn't have divorced siblings. I think this really impacts all of us. 
and it's really hard to hear this in the pews as a place of welcoming for all. So this is not to gloss over the fact that divorce is a very hard choice and follows a lot of heartache, but I do not think that what Jesus says about divorce applies to our society, and here's why. Again, it's about power over, and it's about relationship. The people who Jesus was speaking to very, very rarely saw any woman with any financial means whatsoever. There are a few, and they're always noted by name, and it's interesting that women who did have their own businesses and their own means often supported this fledgling ministry of Jesus. Susanna and Joanna and Lydia, even Mary Magdalene, were all women who somehow had means of their own, but it was much more often that if a man were to divorce his wife, this would be her fate. She would be homeless, she would have absolutely no money, and she would be at the mercy of strangers who might not have her best interests at heart to feed her and house her and care for her, if at all. And if she were to enter into another relationship, what happened to people who were accused of adultery? Potentially, they would be stoned. So what Jesus is saying, you heard it said you can give someone a certificate of divorce, at least give them that justice that they can have some sort of legal status. But what Jesus is saying, you can't do it. What you are doing, what you can't do is kick someone out of your family to live homeless on the street and be at risk of death. I think what Jesus is saying applies instead to parents who have a child who comes out to them as gay or trans, and that parent might think that they could kick that child out on the street to be a child runaway. That child would have that similar fate, being homeless, being labeled, being at risk, being hungry, having nowhere to go. I think that this is what Jesus' challenge would be for us today. You cannot kick someone vulnerable out of their home. You cannot remove somebody's access to safety and well-being. And I think it's interesting that Jesus makes one exception, except in the case of unfaithfulness. And some people hear that as a pejorative against the woman, but I hear it as if someone wants to go and she has a place to go, then you have to let her go. I think that's what he's saying. And I think that even though it's really hard, that God's blessing is still on people who have to divorce and leave a marriage where they are no longer able to live their life to the fullest. The law is supposed to allow you to choose life. Today, it's much more common for women to divorce their spouses. And because of our divorce law, we take 50-50, and so it is not, divorce is simply not a social justice issue today as it was in the past. It's just completely different. So if we are to break down these passages and try to figure out what is the meaning and the intent, how is it that they encourage us to choose life? I think we have to go back to the very beginning. What God wanted most of all was for us to be in a loving relationship with God and in fair, just, compassionate relationships with one another. And I think we need to have a change of heart. I think in this way we have to follow the law because we know that it was given out of love. We have to care for one another in relationships out of a desire to do that. One of the most famous breakup scenes in movies comes to mind when I think about this. It's a fight because this, again, is about breakdowns in human relationships sometimes. Bear with me here. It's a fight between a couple, 
and the woman has had a long day and cooked a meal and wants help cleaning the kitchen, and the husband says, or the partner says, fine, I'll do the dishes. And she says, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. This is how I hear God wanting us to be in a relationship. We shouldn't just say, fine, I'll follow the law. Like the child, fine, I'll make it home by midnight. Fine, I'll do what you told me to do. God doesn't want it to be like that. Jesus doesn't want it to be like that. God says, I have a vision for a good way for us to love one another and be in community together. And we shouldn't just say, fine, I'll do it. We should want, God wants us to want to care for each other. God wants us to want to love one another. God wants us to want to go. What's the address, Sharon? To go to 219 James Street. God wants us to want to serve at coffee hour. Kathy Kane will be signing people up at the back. God wants us to want to love one another. God wants us to want to walk in these ways. God wants us to do it out of love and joy because God wants us to receive that heart that comes down with open arms and a big smile. We are truly loved unconditionally. And God wants us to respond to that unconditional welcome and love with joy. Can we catch a hold of that vision of God's shalom? Can we love one another and can we love God? May it be so.